Well, speaking of uh, Mandarin events, our guest speaker today is Ray Chen. Uh, Ray works here in the wharf at HSBC, has done so for the past nine years. Uh, but as of next week, he's going to get down to four days a week and will give us a day a week working here at the Barge to develop the Mandarin base, uh, the Mandarin speaking ministry. So we're grateful to him. Uh, look forward to working with him and he'll be our speaker today. The passage he'll be speaking on is the last in our summer series looking at uh, questions people ask. The question today is what do you want Jesus to do for you? And the passage from Luke 18 I'll read in a moment, but first I'll pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the gift that it is. We thank you for the jobs that you've given us to do here in the wharf. Thank you for these few moments together, this lunchtime to press pause. And we pray that as we listen to your word being read and preached to us, that you would speak clearly to us. And we pray for the seed of your word to fall on good soil in our hearts and lives and to bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 18, verse 31. So we'll skip the first paragraph, second paragraph, verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. <laughs> I hope you got a memo that I will be speaking in Mandarin today. <laughs> no? Okay, great. My name is Ray. I'm the new Mandarin worker here for the barge. Um, I'm, the, I'm the kind of person who harvests people as opposed to harvest the, the citrus fruit that you find in Tesco. Um, so I'm speaking on um, Luke chapter 18 today. Uh, and the topic is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Have you ever wondered what's it like to see Jesus? Two years ago, there's a little article printed on the Metro newspaper about seeing Jesus. It reads, John, 24 years old, living in Manchester. One day, he returned from his workplace to find that the only food item in his cupboard was a loaf of bread. So he popped in two slices and discovered that the face of Jesus was beautifully presented to him on one of the slices. Is this the way that Jesus wanted to be seen? A surprise revelation through everyday objects? How does Jesus want people to see him? 
Well, here's a bit of a context to today's passage. Uh, chapter 18, verse 18, we saw a rich ruler who symbolized the best of humanity. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's not registered with Ashley Madison, he recycles all his rubbish, he's a pillar of a society. This guy went to Jesus and presented his impressive CV and said, can I enter the kingdom of God? Which is effectively another way of saying, can I have eternal life? And to that, Jesus' answer was, denied, not good enough. And everybody who heard the answer at that at, at the time erupted like John McEnroe. You cannot be serious. Verse 26, then how can anyone be saved? In response to that, Jesus said in verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So we were left with two questions. First, why is it impossible with men? And second, what does God have to do to make it possible? Well, the answer to both those questions is in today's passage. And it's an important passage. Not because I said it, but because Jesus said it himself. There is something that Jesus wants us to see in today's passage. Which means, by the end of today, if we have understood the passage, would we have found and grasped the secret of entering kingdom of God, the secret to have eternal life. A lot is at stake for the next 18 minutes. Now, before we start, let's get a flow of today's passage. Jesus wants his disciples to see. His disciples couldn't see. A blind beggar who physically cannot see. He go to Jesus to ask Jesus to help him see. Jesus made the blind beggar see. So what's that one key word that runs through from the beginning to the end of the passage? See, exactly, see. See, it's not difficult to see that the key word is see. So what is this a secret that Jesus wants us to see? And that's the first point. Jesus wants us to see the gospel. The word see means to find, to grasp, and to understand. Look at verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, which is the title for God's chosen king, everything written about God's chosen king by the prophets will be accomplished. Jumping to the end of the paragraph, 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So the word see means to understand, to find, and to grasp everything that's written about God's chosen king. Now, we often use the word see in the same way as Jesus. For example, friends may come to us and pour their hearts out about the problem that they're going through at the moment. And after listening to them for a while, the penny drop, we understand what they were getting at, and our hearts can sympathize and feel the pain that they're going through. Then we respond by saying, I see what you mean. So the word seeing is more than just using our eyes to see a physical object. It's understanding, finding, and grasping the, the deeper meaning of what's being said. Jesus didn't want people to see him on a piece of toast. Jesus wants people to see him through the Bible, through everything that is written about him. So reading the Bible is not just mindlessly scanned through clusters of Heim's new Roman font printed on sheets of paper. 
It's about finding, understanding, and grasping what's being said in the Bible. And I think we all agree that understanding everything about Jesus is a monumental task. Thankfully, Jesus summarized the entire Bible, the entire 1,200 pages, into just two verses. Here is his summary, verse 32. For he will be delivered over to Gentiles and will be mocked shamefully treated and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. The main thing that Jesus wanted all of his followers to see is the gospel. That God's chosen king is to be crucified for our sin. And on the third day, he's going to rise. Now let's slow down and try to see the gospel. Uh, Back in chapter 9, verse 51, uh, Luke told us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem and begin his journey towards it. And here, finally, nine chapters later, here in chapter 18, we get a glimpse of actually what's on Jesus' mind. He was determined to fulfill everything written about him. Jesus knew exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. There will be mocking and flogging and killing. And every step he took was a step closer to his certain and shameful death. And yet he was, he was resolved to save us. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. There are some men, without a moment's consideration, could do brave notion. They could not sit down and coolly calculate the consequence of doing it. Here, Jesus deliberately thinks and talks about his death. Yet he never flinches or looks back, but sets his face like a flint to go through it all, that he may save the souls of his people. One of the questions from the previous passage was, What must God do in order to save? Well, the answer is the gospel. Jesus had to die, crucified, to save us. Now, are we beginning to see just how extraordinary is this gospel? Now, let's do some quick reverse engineering. Uh, Jesus is God's chosen king. Very important. A king had to die for us, which makes his death very costly, and significant. And if a costly and significant death is required to pay for our sin, our sin must have been massive. Now, do we see that our sin is actually bigger than we ever realized? So when you wake up in the morning and look into the mirror, what do you see? Do you see a nice person looking back? Or do you see yourself in the way that Bible sees us? And even if we even if we do agree that Bible's assessment of us, that our sin is massive and humongous, we might still be tempted to think that surely I could pay it off. Surely I could earn eternal life myself. You know, people here at Canary Wharf like to make project plans to make long-term goals. So it's kind of like, you know, kind of like paying that off that enormous mortgage or training for the Olympics. Perseverance um, and discipline will see us through. We will just chip away chip away at our sin one bit of a time. It might take us forever, but hey, eventually we will get there. But that's not true. 
Otherwise, Jesus didn't have to be killed. His death is not an easier alternative for us to have eternal life. His death is the only way for us to get it. It's impossible with man, but possible with God. So the gospel is the only secret to receive eternal life. The message of this Bible, this 1,200 pages book, is this, that eternal life is impossible with men, but possible with God through Jesus. God takes sin very seriously. We just read the gospel. And did we feel the weight of sin pressing down in our hearts and feel the liberation that Jesus offered? If not, well, we have a problem. And it's the same problem that the disciples had. Look at verse 34. After Jesus stated the secret to eternal life, even the 12 closest people, even they didn't get it. So they had no reaction from it. I think Luke puts verse 34 here to highlight one thing that is quite depressing and humbling for us. Luke is effectively saying that the scope of humanity's sin is so big, so massive. It's like a giant mountain. Not only, that, not only that we can never chip it away, we can't even see past it. So when Jesus laid out the secret of eternal life in just two verses right in front to the disciples, to the people that he has lived with for the past three years, to people who saw all the miracles and heard all the teaching right in front of them, they couldn't see it. It is impossible with men. Our sin is so blinding. We cannot see past it. Jesus wants us to see the gospel. Yet, because of our sin, we are unable to see. What are we going to do? How can we ever see? Why not ask Jesus? That's the second point. Jesus wants us to see the gospel, so ask Jesus to make us see. Verse 35 to 43 describes how a blind beggar received his sight by asking Jesus. Now, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He's a people magnet, so wherever he goes, people just follow him. He draws a crowd. Now, he was approaching a town called Jericho. There was a blind beggar sitting by the side. And when the blind beggar heard all the emotion and commotion from the crowd, he was intrigued. He was asking, what's all this fuss about? What's all this fuss about? And someone from the crowd said to the blind beggar, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And blind beggar began to shout immediately, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, that's a bit strange, isn't it? The, the crowd told the blind beggar is Jesus of Nazareth, an ordinary name for an extraordinary man. But the blind beggar shouted back, Jesus, son of David, which is not a title for God's chosen king. And both are correct names to address Jesus. But clearly, one of them is more appropriate. Now, imagine I have the queen standing right here next to me. And my job is to introduce her to all of you. I could have said, uh, everybody say hello to Elizabeth Windsor. And that would be it. I would have done my job. Elizabeth Windsor is her name. And I did introduce her. But I think we'll find that disturbing, if not downright disrespectful. After all, she is royal. 
she's unique, and she holds an office with authority to change people's lives. I think the more appropriate way would have been, ladies and gentlemen, please stand for Queen Elizabeth II. The blind beggar saw Jesus the way that Jesus wanted to be seen. Back to the story, verse 39. The beggar was determined to be heard. He knew Jesus is God's chosen king who has the authority to help him. So he pressed on even louder still. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This time, Jesus responded. Verse 40, he stopped and commanded like a king. Jesus commanded people to bring the blind beggar to him. And he asked the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? I found this bit fascinating. That this king, Jesus, clearly has authority to command. But when he sees somebody who trusts him and asks for his mercy, he began to speak like a servant. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus said. And the blind beggar didn't need to be asked twice. He said, Lord, still addressing Jesus as king, Lord, let me recover my sight. So Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And just like a king, when a king commands, things happen. The blind beggar received his sight straight away. Verse 43. And Luke recorded this incident here to teach a very simple point, that Jesus has the ability to remove our blinding sin so that we could see. This is essentially what faith is. It's about seeing two things. It's about seeing ourselves like the blind beggar. We cannot give. We can only receive. We need mercy. And it's about seeing Jesus, who is the king, who can give and is full of mercy. So let's go to Jesus and ask him to make us see. And walking around London, we see many beggars on the sidewalk. But often I, I find myself asking this question, uh, what would it be like if I'm the one sitting at the sidewalk and doing the begging? Um, I was quite challenged by the idea. That even though we see beggars with our eyes, I think deep down inside we have so many things to depend on. People here in Canary Wharf are relatively wealthy, relatively healthy. We have connections to friends and families. We have layers and layers and layers of safety nets that we can depend upon. And even if we don't have any other safety nets that we had just mentioned, I think our pride is still in the way. I think some of us may think that deep down inside, I would rather die than beg. But it doesn't matter how many layers of safety nets we have or how strong is our pride. The reality remains the same, that the Bible sees us as blind beggars. We cannot do anything for ourselves. We need Jesus to intervene. Perhaps you've been um, looking into Christian faith for a while, and you're earnestly wanting to believe Jesus. Uh, maybe you've attended Christianity Explore course once, read a gospel book a couple times, and had hundreds of conversations with your friends about Jesus and about the gospel. But you don't get it, and it's frustrating. Um, I hope with today's passage, we understand that it is not just one-way effort from us. It's not like studying for an exam, hoping that one day we'll understand everything. We'll be able to see the gospel. To think like that is effectively like that blind beggar going to medical school, studying really, really hard, 
hoping that one day he's going to feel his way to a razor-sharp scalpel and begin to operate on his own eyes to make himself see. It's crazy. It will never work. We need somebody who has the provision, someone who's merciful and is willing to cry, oh, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. And if this is the first time that you hear the gospel, and you're wondering uh, the same question as the blind beggar, what's all this fuss about? Why are you guys getting so worked up about Jesus? Well, C.S. Lewis answered this way. He said, to ask me to describe how does it feel to be a Christian is like a blind person asking a seeing person, what's the difference between red and blue? Is it like the difference between the sound of a trumpet and the sound of a piano? Well, he's right. If we are unaware of our debt, how can we feel any liberation when our debt has been paid by Jesus? I'm not saying this to offend, certainly not saying this to show off, but saying this as an encouragement that go to Jesus, ask him to make you see. There is a sense of peace and joy that cannot be found anywhere else apart from seeing Jesus. What do you want Jesus to do for you? If he says, what can I do for you? What would it be? A promotion? Starting retirement today? World peace? Like the classic answer to every kind of, kind of, kind of question. Um, I've, done, I've done quite a few birthday wish lists and Christmas wish lists my, myself. And I know that the, the secret to this kind of question is not about stretching my imagination and coming up with the most ridiculous answer that I can think about. It's about asking something that the other party is also willing to give. Jesus wants us to see the gospel. So let's go ask him to make us see.